Oh, yes, folks. You know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. Oh, my. So I think uh, as our regular listeners know, I've got the best job in the world. I get to hang out here every week talking to awesome poker people about poker problems. Uh, my name's Jim Reed. You can find me as at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter or Bluffsterini in the home game. And I hope you do because we love it when folks reach out and say what's going on and share their feedback with us on what they enjoy about Rec Poker. Um, most of what we do here at Rec Poker is free. We're a largely volunteer organization, so I have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, and Website Mark over at uh, Website Amp, the man himself, Mark Frashan, uh, without whom we could not do a lot of what we do over here. So thanks to them for their support. Of course, it takes a village to, to do what we do here. There are multiple events that people can come and join for free every day if they go to rec.poker and get a free account. All it takes is an email address and a smile. And you too can join our community here. And maybe one day you can be a member of the Wrecking Crew. Uh, the Wrecking Crew is our core team of people that uh, invest uh, hours of their month in our learning material here. They produce a lot of our videos. They uh, uh, contribute to the conversations on the podcast. And if you want to learn more about me and the other members of the Wrecking Crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew, or you can just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right now. I'm Chris, Chris Jones. Jones. Find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. I'm Rob Washam, and you can find me as Rabman50 just about everywhere. And I'm Taylor Moss. You can find me as GopherboyTJM in the home game and Taylor underscore Moss on Twitter. And uh, every Monday night, we're playing against each other in the nightly uh, Rec Poker home game. And we steal a post out of the forums uh, uh, here, the free forums at Rec Poker, just like we're stealing each other's chips in our Play Money home game. And nothing makes us happier than when a premium member comes and joins the conversation. So I'm very pleased to be welcoming Eric Anderson into the podcast conversation tonight. Eric's a prolific poster in our forums, and he's got a lot of great information. He's very active on Discord and in the home game. So, Eric, uh, thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell some folks uh, what your handle is and how they might get in touch with you? Glad to see you guys. I'm E. Anderson, 85 in the home game and in the forums also. I made it easy. Nice. He's he's E. Anderson, 85 everywhere. What a pro. You're fitting right in already, Eric. Uh, thanks thanks for coming tonight. Um, you've got such a great brain for poker. I'm looking forward to cracking it open and seeing what we got in there. Um, we're going to be looking at a forum post tonight by Ima Luigi, Louis Hillman, who is a longtime listener and fan of the show. We got to meet down in Las Vegas last year, and I found, recently found out that Louis Hillman is also a fan of the band called Dispatch which I am a big fan of. I didn't even know they were still making music, but I saw on Twitter that he was at a show this weekend, and I am just jealous as hell. Um, Dispatch is an awesome band uh, that I really identified with back in my college days, and the fact that they're still out there touring uh, puts a little uh, smile on my face. Rare, I know, um, but it makes me feel like maybe I can go and see Dispatch uh, live one of these days. They've got a bunch of great hits out there. So thank you, Louis Hillman for contributing twice this week to my life enjoyment, both on the felt and off the felt. So this is a forum post called Jack Jack versus Big Blind Defend. And it's in the World Series of Poker uh, in the freeze out event. So I'll go through his introduction into the post and I'll turn it over to the gang here and we can uh, offer some responses to Louis's situation. 
So this is a hand from this year's WSOP 1500 No Limit Freezeout. Villain appears to be a French pro, probably calling a bit too wide preflop based on estimated VPIP, voluntary put in pot, but likely has an edge versus field postflop and capable of putting opponents in the blender. Louis says, I was never comfortable here. What would your line look like here, including sizing, and why? And I'll go over uh, the entire hand as we know it, and then we'll talk about some of the action. So this is at a fairly early level. It's uh, 200-400 with a 400 ante. The hero is the effective stack with 25,000 chips, uh, which is a little over uh, 60 big blinds or so, a little over 50 big blinds. Raises to 1,100, which is just under three big blinds with jack of clubs, jack of hearts. Um, so we don't know what position Louis is in, but it doesn't really matter because you're fo- you're opening jacks from every position and it folds around to the villain who defends the big blind. The flop comes, seven of spades, five of diamonds, three of spades. Uh, the villain checks. Louis bets 1,100 into a pot that must be, uh, let me see, four, eight, uh, it's about a third pot, I think. Uh, and gets raised, gets check raised from our villain to 3,100. Now, I, we'll just keep going. Louis calls, turn comes the king of diamonds, and the villain leads out uh, 5,200, and hero is left with a, a difficult decision here. And this is a position that I think we get into a lot. 7-5-3 is a board where the defender could have some sets could have some two pairs, um, but could also have a lot of pair plus draw hands. And our jacks are in really good position against the pair plus draw hands and in a really bad position against those other kind of hands that we're talking about here. And I think, especially, I've been in this position like Louis, where you've got an over pair post flop, but when that raise comes in there and then leading the turn, it does make you feel a little uncomfortable. And I myself kind of find it hard to decide, like, is my opponent doing this with their value hands that have me crushed? Or is there my opponent taking a, a bluff line here? And when I call the, the check raise on the flop, I'm kind of capping my range. And so I'm inviting them to go make this lead on the turn. And it puts me in a very uncomfortable position. And I, I don't really know how to respond to that either. So we had some really good responses here into the post. Uh, Rob, Eric, and Chris all contributed. Uh, so, Chris, why don't we start with you? What what are the what are the relevant things to be considering in this kind of a spot? And what would you do in Louis' position here? So, the the first thing that I think we want to look at here. Uh, so, we're sixty big blinds deep, um, and we have a board that, when we look at it, has a is very favorable to the big blind defend. So we've got a seven, five, three board with two spades. Um, and one, one of the things I think that, that then feels sort of maybe right about that is like, well, I should see bet. I've got an overpair, but uh, you know, it kind of favors them. They can have a lot of sets. Uh, so I'm going to kind of do this sort of like standard small bet that we've kind of all kind of gotten used to in our C betting. And I think for me, one of the things that I've really been trying to think about with these boards and like in studying and people smarter than me talking about too, is that 
this is actually a board that we want to sort of check a lot back with with a large part of our range. Uh, so finding that we're gonna we're gonna take you know just kind of shorten up this hand, uh, just go to a turn. Let's see where we're at with our overpair. That might be an option here, and this might be a, a, a hand that we do that. But if we're gonna bet, which I would advocate that we want to bet a lot with our jacks in this position. I think we want to bet bigger than that sort of like more comfortable standard sizing that we've been th thinking about. So that's where I would start. I would start with like a bet that might feel uncomfortable to us, like an 80% pot bet. And the reason being is uh, because we're checking back more, we're going to be betting fewer times so we can have our bets be larger. The other thing that this is going to do is when we bet small on this board, our opponents should check raise us like happens in this hand a ton when we bet big it's going to be a lot harder for them to do that um and so when we do get check raised in this spot that should raise some when we bet 80 percent pot and we get check raised that should raise some really big alarm bells for us uh but when we do it when we bet like 25 30 percent pot and we get check raised that's just something our opponent should do to us with a lot of holdings. And so that's where I would start. I was actually, I played a tournament at a private game um, <laughs> nearby is what I'll say, uh, nearby me here on the weekend. And I was actually in this exact spot holding jacks in position um, where I had raised pre-flop. And it's, it is a really uncomfortable spot because it's a, it's a two-tone board. So they could have like an unlimited number of flush draw combos. There's all sorts of low to middle straight action available there that they could have these draws on. And um, in a way, I mean, in this case, there's even a made straight. They could have the straight with with six four. Um, so in a way, I I like what you're saying, Chris, about maybe this is a spot where we can check behind and shorten the game like remove a street of value from the equation, because in a way I kind of feel like sometimes the bad event has already happened. Like you don't even necessarily need a bad turn. Like this, this turns pretty bricky, the King of diamonds, but we still don't like, we still don't feel great about the strength of our hand when we get check raised, even though the, the, the turn doesn't help them at all. There's still, they, if they had two pair or a set, they still have two pair or a set. And uh, I, I, yeah, I, it, there's the sort of like the, the bad thing has already happened. And so we should check and just it, acknowledge that this isn't going to be a board where we get to win the hand as often as on some other boards. When we bet bigger, I think you're saying, Chris, that they're just not going to check raise as often without the premium hands. They're going to choose to just fold instead um, a lot of times. Is there a, is there like, you mentioned like 80% pot. Do you feel like there's a pain point that's, I'm, I, I, I'm guessing you think it's about 80%, which is why you said that out loud. <laughs> and, and, and is there, is it just that, um, is it just that people don't like to raise big bets? And so they're going to, they're going to overfold relative to the other sizing. Yeah. I mean, basically, and I think, that uh, that in that seventy to eighty percent range, it's it's noticeable. It should be to at least a you know. And if this is a French pro, they're going to notice that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some players will be 
won't notice this. And yeah, you should be aware of the kind of opponent that won't notice sizing. And then you got to adjust your strategy and maybe betting small is fine against that kind of opponent. But against an opponent who we know is sort of competent and will notice this kind of sizing, I think going like an over pot bet here is sort of too much because when they do have those sort of those sort of holdings, like when they do have those sets, when they do have those like really strong combo draws, uh, some of those kinds of, if they had like, you know, whatever, or even their straights here, like we're just going to, we're going to give up more chips than we need to. We can, we can accomplish the same thing. I don't think we're going to get more folds and, and accomplish the same things versus like if we go 120% or go a full pot bet, I don't think we're going to accomplish anything more, but we are going to accomplish more by going to that bigger bet. We're going to just, I think, you know, when I look this up um, at sort of, equilibrium when we do this in a solver our opponent should be raising us if we bet 25 percent pot here our opponent should raise us 20 percent with 20 percent of their holdings and we when we bet like 75 to 80 percent pot they should only do it with 10 percent of their holdings so we've by doing this big bet we have uh cut the number of times that we're check raised in half um, and that's a big deal because we've got an overpair. We like our hand, but it's vulnerable. And, um, you know, so I think it's a good approach. Yeah. And and one thing you said there I really want to <clears throat> zero in on is when we've got a hand like pocket jacks, um, we benefit a lot from protection in a spot like this. If we had pocket aces, particularly with like the ace of spades, for instance, we'd feel better about checking because it's less likely that they have the flush combos and we're not as worried about overcards. Um, but I also feel like I'm often torn. This feels like the kind of hand where we're either way ahead or we're way behind. And I, 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 I never kind of know how do I find out which... <laughs> which one it is like there must be some way to uh to figure out which one it is without actually paying the price and seeing the cards um rob i don't know if you're saying yeah. th that they haven't they haven't figured that out yet that's not no that's there's not no way of doing that i don't think <laughs> no i think i i kind of responded too and i have a a similar response that chris had um you know when i looked this up on a gto you know, approved way of playing this type of flop. It is um, you see bet at a low frequency with a big bet size. Yep. So I think with Jacks in particular, there's probably, you know, there's three things you could do. You can check, you can bet small or bet big. And I think the, the worst of the three is betting small. So mm. I think you're either going to check here because you still have a, a, a decent hand, you know, you have mm -hmm. an overpair to the board. You have a very decent hand uh, by betting small. You are giving him the opportunity to check raise you more often with less of a hand. If you bet big, if he check raises you, he's going to have to have a pretty decent hand to be check raising you with, with against a bigger bet size. So I think of the three options, the worst is betting small. You could either check or bet big. And I think he's still going to check raise. This this opponent is often still going to check raise their extremely strong draws, like on the board, seven, five, three. 
obviously if they've got six, four, it's already a straight, but let's say they've got like six, eight of spades where they've got the up and down and a, and a flush draw. You can't stop them from check raising that if they've decided they're going to a bigger size, they, they, they're still going to have that in their range along with their sets and two pairs, but maybe they don't do it with like the seven, six, or the seven, eight or the five, six or something like that. And they play those more as a call or a fold and you just don't have to wonder as much. So if I'm reading this correctly, do you guys, you'd be folding at a higher frequency to the check raise that comes when you bet to a higher amount. So when you make a bigger bet, you're going to fold at a higher frequency to the check raise than if you made a smaller bet. I see some nods that, that makes sense to me too. Theoretically, they should still be used check raising in a balanced fashion with a balanced range. But the tighter the range, you know, if they're <laughs> if they're uh, if they're raising you with sets, two pairs and hands like a six suited. Guess what, guys? That's that's not a balanced range. If, the, if 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 the balanced part of the range are these super strong draws, that's actually still an exploitably strong range. And we can actually uh, fold to that as an exploit with with a lot of our holdings taylor i think you've got something to add here yeah i was i was just going to say rob was kind of talking through the three options and he thought um betting small was the worst i i agree that um it's not optimal i'm all aboard the bet big wagon but i think checking is still worse than betting small uh but betting small without a plan is probably like where i might agree with it because that's kind of what it feels like here um because it feels like we get check raised here and we just feel like we got kicked under our mouth in our teeth and we just don't know what to do um because th- there's some actions that we can take here um that you know some people really haven't really talked about or really considered which is we can put in a three bet on the flop which mm-hmm. I'm technically using that term correctly because that yes. would be the third bet there. Yes. Uh, but when we bet, they raise us when we take the small sizing. Um, I'm pretty sure we're allowed to do some raising here <laughs> ourselves uh, with the jacks. <laughs> we unblock uh, flush draws for them uh, and we can kind of put them in a tough spot after they tried to put us in a tough spot. So we can, you know, flip that on them. So betting small with the intention of raising uh re-raise for them um doesn't sound all that bad to me uh and then on the turn when we get this blank like it feels bad when they lead out so big uh but we can we can raise here too like here's another opportunity where uh that king really shouldn't help them it kind of keeps their range the exact same as before which is like draws and made hands but now all their draws missed one card and now there's only one draw uh left for them so like, do we then flip it on them and, you know, try and take the aggressive action here on the turn? Cause if you're holding a hand, like a six of spades where you've got, you know, a gut shot to a straight plus the nut flush draw and you get jammed here on this turn, like, aren't you uncomfortable? You take that route with the a six suited, you go for the check raise on the flop. Makes total sense. The turn comes and then you got to go, Hey, what do I do here? I got to keep, the aggression going and you make out a big bet, uh, but then you get check raised, man. If you're the opponent, you got to feel really tough about where you are uh, in the hand at that point. So I, I think there's opportunities for us to get aggressive here. And we haven't really kind of chatted about those, but I like 
both of them personally, especially versus someone that we've labeled as a pro that is going to be playing closer mm. to GTO than a lot of our other opponents and has been known to put people quote unquote in the blender, which he's tried to do to us. Let's flip it around on him, put him in the blender. Now I'm going to ask uh, Eric Anderson in a moment to share some of his thoughts because he had a great response here too. But before I do that, so Taylor, this is a great concept and something that our listeners and, and other recreational players like us struggle with a lot, I think, because we're thinking in our minds, well then, but but then he just gets to play perfectly and he gets to fold his draws and he gets to continue with his two pairs and sets. And we're, you know, you can say all these cliches, we're doing the betting forum or we're, we're raising into a polarized range or, um, so what, what's, what is it about this that, you know, what, what are, what are we not seeing in that dynamic where it's where we, we should be making that three bet because we're obviously putting a lot of pressure on all their non-nutted hands. And we think a player like this is going to have a lot of that in it, in their range. Um, But how do we square that with just being so far behind all the times that they're in the value part of the range? I mean, it's all about equity denial, uh, at least for the most part, like when we're talking about making raises here, it's about denying their draws, their equity, um, they're out of position. So they're kind of in a tough spot to realize that equity and we should use our position to our advantage. Um, but like it, I think about this and I see this spot and I go, okay, like what, what hands are we worried about getting it in against? We're obviously worried about getting in it against six, four, but do we think someone that we would label as a pro is going to like call six, four offsuit preflop? Right. I'm going to probably say not the offsuit version, maybe the suited versions. So then they've got four combos of that. That's pretty <laughs> spare. Um, they can have sets again, six combos of that. Uh, we start thinking about, you know, how many combos have we labeled so far? Yada, yada, yada. Uh, but then you get into like, how many draws do they have? Well, anything with a six in their hand is a draw. Anything with a four in their hand is a draw. There's two spade combos that exist like crazy because they're a big blind defense. Like there's a ton of draws in there. So there's a lot of hands that have equity, uh, but not like currently. So it's all about equity denial uh, to me in terms of those ranges. And it feels kind of crummy to how deep are we? 400 uh, we start about 25k 60, about so 60 blinds, 60 bigs deep i think we have to be willing to go broke uh 60 bigs deep with an overpair versus a very draw heavy board and um you know sometimes they're just going to have a really strong made hand uh sometimes they're going to have a strong draw and we hit or don't hit for some but it's kind of one of these spots that hey we're in poker <laughs> we're into this like variance <laughs> game let's go yep and I mean, that is the answer. The answer is that sometimes you're going to go home. Sometimes they're going to have that set. But listen, sometimes they're going to have that set and the turn or the river is going to come a jack and you're going to beat them set over set. Sometimes they're going to have two pair, but sometimes the turn in the river is going to pair the board and you're going to have a bigger two pair and you're going to felt them. Um, and sometimes they're going to have a set or two pair and your jacks are going to lose. And that's going to be how you lost the tournament that day. But Listen, losing tournaments is a crucial reality to tournament poker. You you cannot be afraid of losing tournaments. You cannot be afraid of losing tournaments. You're going to lose almost every tournament you enter as a poker player. So embrace that. 
all we can choose is how did I lose? What were what was the what were the decisions that I made that resulted in me losing? And if it's that we maximized our EV against our players' range, um, I mean that's really kind of the best the best you can hope for. Now we can make errors in assigning people ranges, like we can assume that they have a bunch of bluffs and semi bluffs, but it turns out this player is only ever doing with the nuts, and we could have just folded um, to the raise. You know, player dependent, right? We talk about that all the time, but. I really, really appreciate this point from Taylor. I think we all, all, all of our listeners and ourselves as well, we need to get comfortable losing tournaments, but but doing it like facing our enemy on the battlefield with our saber drawn and not just kind of like blinding down and then shoving pocket eights when you get, <laughs> when you get down. <laughs> when you get down to 12 big blinds, right, Rob? Because um, there's nothing wrong with that either. But you know, you're not going to, if you want to win the tournament, you can't be afraid of losing 60 big blinds in a spot like this, where m- most of the time they are behind and and you get to pick up a big pot here. Taylor, did you have something? Yeah, on? I'm going to just add one more thing because um, I kind of made this point briefly in there, but essentially the most crucial part of this exact hand is given that we're playing against someone that we perceive and believe to be a pro. Um, if you said this, this hand happened to me at my local casino or in a home game or whatever it may be, uh, I am running for the Hills cause I don't think they turn their semi bluffs or they don't have as many semi bluffs as the opponent, like, um, the pro does in this exact spot. So it is a very like player specific, uh, read that I'm making here. So I, I don't want people to be like, Oh, you know, I don't care that they were raising into me. I had what I perceived to be a good hand. I should just start blasting off because I would fold flop uh, in situations in like my local card casino. If this happened to me and go, well, I'm just done for here. Uh, Let me get out of this hand because I don't want to lose anymore. But when you put me up against a pro where I believe they're going to have enough semi bluffs in this spot. Yeah, I'm taking the aggression back and trying to get me as the aggressor and giving them opportunities to fold instead. Yeah, I love that. And that's and that's why I take the Bluffsterini approach to a lot of this um poker play that we talk about because if you if, if your leak is that you are overly aggressive, um it's a hard thing for opponents to exploit without really putting themselves out there. Like the only way to co- to combat very aggressive players is by calling down light or by shoving light. And those are not comfortable positions for recreational players to find themselves in. We don't like calling down light. We don't like shoving light. So putting players in that position where those are really their only ways to exploit you uh, is a winning strategy, which is why we talk often about aggression being the key to poker. But it also means that you are going to run up against two pairs sometimes. You're going to enter, you're going to exit some tournaments earlier than you might otherwise, but it absolutely gives you the best chance to, uh, to win the tournament. And, it, and, it's, and it's the best chance to, to maximize your EV as a poker player. Um, Eric, you had some great responses in here uh, where you took this amazing tool called Flopzilla that I hope all our listeners are getting more in, acquainted with. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, how you approached this forum post from I'm a Luigi? Uh, well, I 
Uh, first thing I want to mention is is in in Rob's book study, uh, we did Michael Acevedo's modern poker theory, and he did a whole chapter on donk betting, and it was very thick with charts and math. And after the twenty or thirty pages, he says, "Don't do it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that one. But his, but his solution when he came up with donk betting is you should donk bet seven high and six high flops, but you only should do that a few a few percentages of the time. And the only reason you should donk bet those is because um, your range is so strong, out mm. of, being being the out of position caller. Um, so when you get a seven high flop like this, the pro is going to know that he's got the range advantage. Um, so he's going to, he's going to notice to, to check raise you if you bet. That's right. Um, and I think a lot of, and, and a lot of players that, um, are unfamiliar with this dynamic, I'll just say one general rule is we're, we're probably donking too much as recreational players, uh, uh on all boards. So putting it in these kind of seven high boards is a great way to scratch that donk itch without lighting money on fire. Um, and but but generally, even if you never donked, I would say put all those donk uh, impulses into check raising instead, and you'll make more money in the long run. Check raising instead of donking because you capture that C bet value more often, and it's it's a stronger play. Uh, but sorry, Eric. So so you're you're taking that analysis into this. Um, it, it is a range advantage for the for the big blind defend for sure. Yeah, and I try to I try to approach it from a range viewpoint not just pocket jacks and if i had ace jack or ace 10 here do i really want to see bet and get check raised you know right. not really um, right. but i do have jacks i have an over pair so either i want to play it like like taylor said and and just try to get the money in and let's go or i want to check behind and not play a big pot and hope that aces kings and queens don't come out and mm -hmm. and and get what he got um so yeah i kind of i'm not a very good with solvers i i haven't done it enough <laughs> um but i have kind of i i did kind of run it in it we were kind of tied range versus range when i did it mm. and uh so i i just kind of want to call it a check but uh when we run our hand against what i gave for his range I gave a 73% equity. So it's kind of, you, you really don't want to lose that, mm -hmm. that money. And uh, we so are I, pretty, we are pretty high up in our distribution of hands here, right? Of, of our entire range that opens in middle or late position, pocket jacks is pretty high in there. You know, we could have pocket threes. We could have a set of threes. We could have a set of fives. We could have a set of sevens. We could have seven, five. Well, I don't know if we could have five, three. And then we could have aces, kings, and queens. But like those are the only hands that are better than pocket jacks here. And there's a ton of hands we could have here that are much, much worse than pocket jacks. So there's just from the distribution point of view, there's an argument for having this in the big C bet portion of our range, um, or or the check back uh, range. I think that's a that's a very good insight. Yeah. So so my so my solution for this is where I didn't want to check with such a seventy three percent equity. And with my range, I really don't want to bet. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. So, uh, so I compromised and I said, well, let's just, 
let's just bait him. He he knows that a seven high flop is going to be a check raise flop for him. Right. So bet small, bet like 20, 25% pot. He check raises. And uh, then depending on how, how we get the reads, we either just uh, whatever it would be a four bet him mm-hmm. or, uh, or just call and, and see the rest, but we'll get some money in the pot. And I like if, it the, checks, if it checks through, then, then we're playing our range. This is a great point that I don't think people pay enough attention to. You have a range and you have a hand in every given spot. And certain opponents, you want to play your hand against their range. And certain opponents, you want to play your range against their range. It's it, it's just it's, it's part of poker. If they're not thinking about ranges, you kind of don't have to worry about how your entire range would be played. Players like this, they're very range aware. So you have to decide, okay, like... I'm not going to do one action with my entire range. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to check back some and I'm going to make large bets with some. Uh, so it, what part does this fall into? And I really like Eric's point taking off from what Taylor was saying earlier, which was you can even choose the sizing, the smaller sizing, if you want, if you have a plan, which is that we're kind of baiting this player. They recognize that it's a good board to check raise. So if we give them the opportunity to do that and come back over the top, or at least, you know, whatever else we've decided is the plan to go from there, um, that's just so much better um, than just kind of proceeding on autopilot and 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 uh, doing, you know, I think we some of us get kind of lazy in these spots where we're like, overpair, C-bet, and move on. But one thing I'm learning as we do more of these uh, rec poker study groups together and we work with uh, Gareth James and Ryan LaPlante and a lot of these other great minds in poker, Sky Matsuhashi, talking specifically about board textures. Oh my God, just how important board textures are and, and the range of the players involved and how they intersect with those textures. It's, it's, it's crucial to understand when you're deciding whether to see better or not and to, to what size. Uh, it, can't, it can't be overstated. So uh, Eric's being too humble. Uh, I really encourage folks, go to rec.poker and get a free community account. It, all it takes is an email address and a smile. If you go to the forums page and check out, search for Jack Jack versus Big Blind Defend, you'll see Eric's responses here. And he's got some screenshots that he's pulled out of Flopzilla and a solver where you can see uh, the equity distribution across both ranges. You can see how our hand interacts with uh, intersects with their range. You can see how the equity breaks down. And if you're a visual learner like me, it, it just helps me understand these spots so much better to be able to come and, and take a look at it. So we're talking about it on the air as best we can, but really um, you got to come and kind of see it all laid out like this. So you can see just how um, valuable these kind of insights are. So let's, uh, let's help Louie out here. So let's just say that, we made the small bet, we got check raised, and we called. The turn's the king of diamonds. And we're, we're actually helping me out, too, because this is what happened in my own tournament on the weekend, and I still don't know how I feel about it. So I did call. It was a small check raise for me. I did call it. And then, uh, in my case, a queen came, but it's basically exactly the same thing. Um, what do we do? then and how do we decide what to do between the choices that are available obviously at this point 
I mean, we can imagine them shoving essentially. They still have some chips behind, but are are we always calling? Are we always folding? Uh, do we have enough chips to shove? Taylor, I'm going to tap you in for this one. And I guess it's very villain dependent, but how would we decide and what would we do in this exact spot that Louis finds himself in? Uh, I mean, to me, uh, probably not folding here. Because uh, if I didn't fold flop, uh, this king really doesn't change anything. If you think about what hands do they like go for a check raise with and potentially now have more equity than they did before and like we're scared of. The only combos really are like king of spades with like a six of spades and the four of spades, like maybe that like specifically. Um, but otherwise, like just the same draws and everything that we're up against. So uh, when we find a call on the flop, like really nothing changes. So it, it makes it tough because it's like, hey, you know, this card shouldn't be good for you, but they keep betting into you. Um, but I, I don't know. I probably am not finding a fold here. And you can like my gut reaction is to jam uh, and try mm-hmm. and deny, uh, given that there's a flush draw out there and potentially straight draws. Um but you can also make the case that you can call here and then just comfortably fold when one of those draws come in, although you don't know exactly which one of those draws your opponent might exactly have. So given that I don't know what draw they have and what potential equity they have, I kind of like just taking the aggressive action and jamming here um, into our opponent. Yep. I like that. And we can have Kings here too, as played. Um, we could have called the uh, check raise on the flop and have turned a set I think, you know, we're probably re-raising um, on the flop with some of them, but we could, we could have uh, spiked a <clears throat> spiked a King here as well, which might even get some fold, even if they are doing with a hand, like two pair, you might even get them to fold a better hand than your pair of jacks here. It's not going to happen very often, but you never know. Um, all right. Well, is there anything else that we should talk about here? Um, Louie ended up folding and I think it's a, it's a, I, I folded in mine too. <laughs> I folded in mine too. I didn't have the courage to continue because uh, I was worried about him showing showing a better hand. But then he proudly showed the combo draw uh, where he had he had the equivalent of, in this case, uh, six, eight of spades. So all the outs, but no equity, which is a good candidate to get aggressive with. If you've got no equity, but a lot of, sorry, if you've got no showdown value, but a lot of equity, those are good candidates to get frisky with because even though you're behind, you're going to win the pot by the river a non-trivial amount of the time. And you benefit a lot from your opponents just folding a one pair hand that you're you're behind at the time. Uh, any other thoughts there, fellas, or should we... Roll on out of here. Is there anything that uh, is there anything Louis could have done? So we're saying maybe if he's going to go with the smaller betting on the flop, do it with a plan to get check raised because that's a great point. On boards like this, we should expect to get check raised a lot more than on other boards. So our C bet it should be a thoughtful C bet where we are looking down the road a bit. Um, once that's done, uh, I like this notion of three bet uh, three betting the flop. Uh, or against certain opponents just folding if we think they don't have enough folds in there. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then when called, when you call, you're kind of saying, I don't believe you. And you, you, Taylor, 
do you always you have to up. continue? Yeah. Do you always have to buckle up and continue at that point? Or I don't think you, the- you don't, you don't always have to, but like it, you're, you're buckling up here. Uh, and then you're willing to unbuckle when <laughs> spades come in, right? When sixes come in, when fours yeah. come in, uh, potentially, you know, the eights, uh, and stuff like that. But like when, when there's bad cards, uh, that's essentially why you're just calling in those spots is to like give yourself that opportunity to get out of there. The King of Diamonds is probably, I have to imagine, one of the worst cards for their exact range. Yeah. Uh, even an ace is better for them because maybe they have like a deuce four and then hit a wheel uh, yeah. in some yep. sort of way. But like the King is the highest card that has no chance of improving any sort of their straight draws. Uh, it's not a flush form. So it, I have to imagine this is one of the worst cards for them. Um, so I, I it makes it so tough for me to fold on what is like their worst turn card. Yeah, and and what's really sorry, when, when, we air, open, when we opened, if they have ace king or king queen, they're probably going to three bet that. Don't mm-hmm. you think? So mm-hmm. that takes mm-hmm. that out of their range, also. Mm-hmm. And they're they're and, unlikely to like. That's just not what they have when they check raise here too. Like if, if that's the case, it would have to be like a, a flush draw because and. King yeah. and queen randomly isn't going to just check raise us on a seven, five, three board, but like an ace, something of spades might, because now they have the flush draw, but that's never ace king of spades. It's right. never ace queen of spades. Cause you know, they're going to three bet us from the big blind with those types of hands. So like th- this King is just so clean for us. I really like that. So if our listeners want to take one point away from this, um, it's the buckling up. When you call that uh, flop check raise and then just unbuckling when the, when the wrong cards come. And because we don't get to know whether they're on a straight draw or a flush draw, we don't care if they have two pair or a set because we're kind of, we've decided that we're staying buckled in for that and it's, it's not going to matter, but it, we don't get to know if they're on a straight draw or a flush draw. So sometimes the straight draw is going to come in and they're going to bluff being on a flush draw. And we're going to fold and that's going to be, you know, we'll lose the hand and they were bluffing. Sometimes the flush draw is going to come in and they were actually on the straight draw, but they're going to bet it and we're going to fold and so be it. Um, when a card comes in that doesn't fill either of those, I like I like what you're saying, Taylor. We got to just stay buckled up. And uh, and that's why we called that that check raise on the flop. And, uh, and And like we said earlier, sometimes we're going to lose the tournament. Um, but this is our best path to maximizing our, v, our EV in this in this spot. And you were talking about sometimes they have a set, sometimes they have two pair. That's what's so great about Flopzilla is when mm. you enter that, it tells you exactly how many times they have a flop. Great, uh, they flop a set or or two pair, and it might great even point. be in my post. I I don't know if I can read yep. it. Yeah. Um, but if it's only like five percent of the time they have a set, well, that means ninety five percent of the time you're ahead. So. That's a great point. That's a great point. I saw this headline the other day saying that 25% of people who quit their job in the last two years really regret it. And I was like, wait a second. But that means that 75% of the people that quit their job in the last two years don't regret it at all. Why are you publishing this headline? (laughs) (laughs) Taylor, anything from you to wrap it up here? Uh, I think we're good. All right. Well, thanks, folks, uh, for listening along. 
I want to thank uh, uh, Louis Hillman. I'm a Luigi for posting this and for generally just being a cool dude in the poker world and uh, go dispatch. And I want to thank uh, Eric Anderson and Taylor Mass and Rob Washam and Chris Jones for joining us here, of course, and website amp and Mark for and our friends at the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, and you, the listeners. All right, everybody, have a great night.